0: Good morning, so you get to um, hear from me this morning. We're carrying on um, in our Exodus series. So if you have a Bible, go ahead. We're gonna read very briefly in Exodus three, and then we'll move into Exodus four. We're gonna start with Exodus chapter three, verse one through four. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Now we're going to go ahead and jump to Exodus 4, starting with verse 1. This is uh, in between the exchange that's begun to happen with God. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it down on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we just acknowledge that we we are complex human beings that can feel, feel a multitude of emotions all in one day, that can feel a multitude of emotions in our encounter with you coming into worship this morning, reading your word, that we are people that are deep, that are confused at times that have questions at times, that long for you at times, that we're just a mixed bag. And Lord, this morning, I'm just so thankful that that does not deter you, that that does not put you off. In fact, you press into the deep places of our life. You long to meet us there, God. And so I pray this morning that you would take your words from scripture and that you would bring them so deep into our hearts that it would change us, that we would leave different this morning that you would do only what you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you live in the Bay Area, you're probably keenly aware that to live here, to thrive here, you have to be pretty outstanding, right? This city, San Francisco, is kinda one of those places where it's like the best of the best. For example, if you want to get an apartment and snatch up, you know, a fairly livable place, you need to have excellent credit. If you want a job, if you want a promotion, if you want funding and opportunity, you have to be overqualified, over-experienced, maybe speak multiple languages. It's just like intense. Or maybe it's the dating world. I mean, how many of us have gone and looked at like an online dating profile or gone on a first date and thought, hmm, adequate? Average, great, let's do this. Just what I was looking for, right? None of us live that way. We have it kind of in our bones that we're looking for exceptional. We're looking to go on a date and be blown away and come home and tell our friends like, oh my gosh, he was phenomenal or she was great, like astounding, like that's what we're looking for. The standards are so high, the expectations feel almost ridiculous. In fact, so many people leave our city, right? Because it's crippling sometimes. What's expected of you, how great you have to be, how amazing your Instagram feed has to be, how you have to show up and be amazing in every sphere, not just in work, but in relationships, and in family, and your finances, and your Instagram. Everything (laughs) needs to be amazing. Nobody in this city is looking for average. Nobody's looking for inadequate, nobody is looking for underqualified, except maybe God. We're picking up the story today with Moses. We find the story of this man through the book of Exodus. He's a child rescued from genocide. He's raised in the house of Pharaoh. He eventually witnesses this injustice and the oppression of his people. He intervenes, kill an Egyptian, and he runs for his life. And he runs to Midian, which is an area of land east of Egypt, and he settles there. And so we pick up the story in chapter four, and he is up on this mountaintop at a place called Horeb, and he's a shepherd, and he's leading sheep, and God shows up in that moment in the burning bush. God shows up and says, I've seen the oppression, I've seen the injustice, and I'm coming down to do something about it, and I'm sending you as well. And so we pick up this story where Moses is in this exchange with God about how he feels about that. God, I'm sorry, Moses has become very comfortable in Horeb. He's a family man. He's settled down. I mean, he's been there for about 40 years. He's made a home there. He's got his people there. He's probably experiencing a level of comfort he maybe hasn't ever experienced in his life before. He's settled. He's made a home. He's not being torn between two people anymore. Interestingly, Horeb means desolate or dry land. And we find Moses in this empty place that is not brimming with life or activity. It's quite barren. And this place that Moses maybe as that young prince may have found it hard to adjust to, he's quite comfortable there now. In fact, maybe there is some security in the emptiness because nobody's trying to kill him here. There are no tyrants, there are no power plays, there is nothing crazy going on. All the drama has been left behind in Egypt and he's found he's comfortable. It's funny how easy it is to get comfortable. The young, fiery, passionate freedom fighter who saw oppression and justice and was like, I can do something by violence or by force. Now we find him, and it's almost hard to recognize him. He's just on a mountaintop, pottering around with some sheep. It's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to make security and stability and comfort our priority. And when we do that, when we've lived there for so long, when something comes along and disturbs that, then it can feel like a threat, something to be resisted. See, God showed up and disturbed Moses' life, but it was a holy disturbance. God had led him to Horeb. God had led him to this moment for this encounter. And it's easy to think that the last 40 years, Moses has just been doing his thing and maybe God was off on the other side of the world doing his thing. But actually, God had been at work. God had been conspiring with Moses around this season of his life to bring him to this place. See, the work that God had been doing in Moses wasn't resume building. He wasn't adding skills. He wasn't looking amazing on that mountaintop. God was doing an inner work. God was doing a deep work, kind of like a mining, a deconstructing, an undoing. This is the kind of work that removes ego and self-sufficiency and pride. See, silence and solitude and being out of the spotlight, not being recognized not even being acknowledged or feeling seen, feeling we're in this hidden and obscure place. There's a work that God does in that season that cannot be done anywhere else, out of the spotlight, out of the focus. And what happens is when we're in that season, when we're in that place, all of the stuff that's deep down begins to come up. All of the stuff that we normally cover with busyness and activity and recognition and success, All of that begins to come to the surface. All of the inadequacy, all of the questions like, what's my value then? What am I here for, what's my purpose? Has God forgotten about me? Am I even seen, am I even loved, am I recognized? Like, what is this season about? There are doubts, there's second guessing, questions of identity rise to the surface. And this only happens in that place. See, we might never end up on a mountain for 40 years. I think we all agree that we hope that never happens, <laughs> wandering around with sheep. But there are horeb experiences in our life. It might be that job opportunity that you didn't get. It might be the, the hopes for promotion, opportunities, things that you've been longing for, doors to be open that are just not happening. It might be the faithful service, behind the scenes, doing the work and nobody recognizing, nobody calling you out in the crowd and saying, wow, I see you, you're awesome. Those seasons where those things are just not happening, where we feel overlooked. See, we all want to pray ourselves out of a Horeb season, right? We want to go to our CG and be like, oh, this season's so hard, it's so difficult, I don't know, I just like, just pray for me, I want to be out of this, I want to end this. But the reality is that we don't want to rush too quickly out of those seasons because God is at work and it's always slower than we want and it's always deeper than we're comfortable with. And nobody ever shines in those seasons. I mean, no one ever wakes up in the midst of that season and says, I am killing it at life. I'm failing here. Doors are closing there. I have no relationships. It feels great. Like, nobody feels that way. Nobody feels incredible. And we think that means there's something wrong. We think we need to be shining and killing it and just doing everything we'd ever hoped for. And if we're not, there's something wrong. But what if there's something right, what if God is at work in that season? Don't move too quickly. This season is not about shining. It's about digging and dying and surrendering and doing the work that prepares you for the call. So on this day, Moses is right there on the mountaintop and God shows up tangibly. Bush is on fire. He's speaking and he's saying, hey, all the Egyptians, all the oppression, like I've seen it, I've seen my people, I'm going, I'm sending you, I want you to kind of partner with me in this. And Moses responds in much the same way we'd all respond when God disturbs our comfort, when God disturbs what we thought were the plans for our life. I mean, Moses was almost 80. He was probably thinking, okay, I'm heading to retirement. I'm like, I'm coasting along in life. This is just where I'm going to be. And instead, he's having the biggest power encounter with the God of the universe that he's ever had. So there's a lot of objections that Moses has going on. He's not feeling super excited about this plan. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, which if you haven't read, please read it. It's by Ruth Haley Barton. She says, it's not unusual for us to feel the kind of resistance or ambivalence that Moses felt in the face of God's call, even as our heart is leaping with the awareness that God is at work in our life. Any kind of authentic calling usually takes place where we have serious objections of some sort, places where we feel inadequate, where we confront our own willfulness and our preconceived ideas about how we thought our life would go where we think that what God is asking us to do is downright impossible, or where we just don't want to take the risk. Places of inadequacy, downright impossible, don't want to take the risk. That's the place we find Moses this morning. In the opening verse of chapter 4, he says, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you, One theologian suggests that in the Hebrew this is actually less of a question and Moses is actually making a statement that he's actually saying they will not trust me and there is good reason for this. Let's just glance back real quick to chapter two. Moses just killed an Egyptian. He intervened because he saw this injustice. He hides the body and he thinks that nobody has seen him. The next day Verse 13, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Now Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Moses was discovered. Moses was exposed. Exposed as a murderer that he himself was not a just judge. That he had committed sin himself. They didn't trust him. They didn't trust his word. So when he says, ah, they won't trust me, he has a good reason to think that. Moses is aware that going back with this plan that God has to Egypt, that it has no natural guarantee of success. That it is very likely that they still see him in that light. That they don't trust him. This is not going to work. He has so many reasons to think that the risk is high. The stakes are high. He's feeling the weight of anxiety in this moment. What he needs is faith. What he needs is to believe what God is saying to him. Have you ever noticed that when we ask God a question that he doesn't always answer it straight? Moses is like, what if if they don't believe me? God doesn't come down and get into the midst of that exchange with him and say, well, let me give you some reasons, blah, 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 blah. It's frustrating at times that God won't answer our questions. We're like, God, I have a question right here. And God says, oh, but I wanna bring you here. No, but I have a question right down here. I'm feeling inadequate, I feel insecure, I feel like they won't trust me. And God is not coming down to that place where Moses is at, he's calling him up to here because God is operating at a different level. God responds with what is in your hand. Oh, it's a staff, it's a stick, throw it down. God does a supernatural sign. He's saying, you want me to come down here and answer your question? but I want you to come up here and see that I'm supernatural. You want me to come down here and wrestle in the natural realm? But I'm a God that's divine. I'm supernatural. I do things a different way. You see, sometimes God doesn't answer our questions because he doesn't want to come down here and get into the nitty gritty of all of our insecurity, adequacy, because he's already spoken. He's already shown us who he is. He's inviting us to come up there, to think like he thinks, to see the world like he sees the world. but Moses isn't done. (laughs) Moses says to God, pardon your servant Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant in the last 10 minutes. (laughs) I am slow of speech and tongue. Now commentators disagree here, is this an excuse? Is Moses just throwing something out there because he's like really comfortable here in this life? Or is he genuinely feeling insecure about his voice? Does he feel like, gosh, I've been up here in this wilderness talking to sheep for 40 years, but you're calling me back to talk to kings, kings that people perceive as gods. There's a huge difference here, God, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready for that. But what Moses does not understand that God is not looking for the ready. God is not looking for his strengths, God is not looking for someone that is honed and perfected and obviously overqualified for the job. God is looking for the willing. God is looking for the one that will say yes. Despite feeling like I have nothing to offer, despite feeling like I'm not sure if I'm ready, despite feeling underqualified, he's looking for a yes. What if everything that we think is a strength and all the gifts that we think we have to offer God What if that is not what he's after at all? What if he's just looking for a heart that trusts him, that believes him? What if God isn't after your best self and your best efforts and accomplishments? What if God wants to use the parts of you that feel most inadequate and most unaccomplished? What if it's his delight to use those parts? It sounds crazy, it probably sounded crazy to Moses. On this mountain with the sheep, 40 years, Aware of his mistakes. Aware of how he tried to do it last time. You see, Moses had tried this before, right? Moses had seen the oppression before. Moses had been moved to action before and it had been a failure. He'd already tried this. But God wanted him to do it different this time. You see, it's hard when we feel unqualified and it's hard when we feel inadequate, but when we've tried and when we've failed, that is a whole new layer of self-doubt. When we felt called to do it before and we've given it our best shot and it didn't work out, that can get us into a hole that we feel like not even God can get us out of. What happens in this final moment is we have this encounter between Moses and God, where he says, pardon your servant, but but please send somebody else. Please send somebody else. Not me. I don't want to go. God is saying, but I'm with you. And they're gonna listen to you and I'm gonna perform signs and wonders and I'm present. And there's a supernatural God that's manifesting himself and he's looking in the face of that God and he's saying, no, no, I don't wanna go. No, I won't go, send somebody else. I remember, I feel like I could talk about inadequacy all day long. Um, I, I feel like it's been the story of my life in some ways. I have felt inadequate as a mother I felt inadequate as a leader. I felt like I was the wrong choice so many times. I have felt like, God, like, you know, I'm just insecure. If I had more people telling me how great I was, if, if, if I had more affirmation, I think it would fill that place and I would feel better. And I remember a point in my life where God showed up and said, this thing that you call a struggle, this insecurity, this inadequacy thing, that's actually unbelief. That's unbelief. You see, unbelief is different to doubt. Doubt is where we're wrestling with God. And we're saying, oh gosh, I have questions and I just don't know. And we're deconstructing and and constructing and like wrestling these things out. But we're like, God, I'm going after you and I want you. I'm just trying to figure it out along the way. But unbelief, unbelief looks in the face of God and hears what he says and sees his goodness and hears the promise and says, no, no. No, I see it, I hear your promise, I see how you've come through for me before, but no, I just won't go because what I believe is what I feel about myself is more true than what you say about me. And that's how unbelief shows up in our life. You see, unbelief will tell you that it's not for you, that God's call is not for you, that you're not ready, that you need more education, more experience. It will convince you that you actually know better than God. That what you feel is more true, that the feelings of inadequacy are more real than God's promise to provide. It will say somebody else is better at this. Don't take that risk. Unbelief will convince you to vacate your calling and surrender your inheritance. It will give you reasons why you should not say yes to God's call, why you should not respond to his call for obedience. It will say to you, look at that person over there. They're more qualified. They're more talented. They're more able. Give your inheritance to them. Abdicate your calling to them. Let them step in and lead. Let their voice be heard. And this quickly spirals into comparison and self-sabotage. We'll destroy our destiny. We'll miss the call of God on our life if we don't deal with the unbelief in our heart. We will hand it over to someone that we think is more qualified. And we'll say, it doesn't seem possible. I don't see how this can happen. Send somebody else. You see, we may never have prayed that explicit prayer of like, okay, God, I've heard your call, but please send somebody else. But we live it every time we say, stay silent when we should speak. Every time we see an opportunity like Jess shared today to volunteer, to step in and create an environment where other people can meet Jesus, where there is the opportunity to lead. Every time we see those things and we convince ourselves that it can't be for us, it can't be for us. Like there's someone that's more able, more qualified. So we disqualify our own self. We don't wait for somebody else to do it. We disqualify ourselves. We're that we are so deeply flawed, so inadequate that it's best for somebody else to do it. You know what? We are content to stay on the mountain leading sheep when we should be in Egypt leading people. And that failure that I mentioned, that failure that Moses had tried it before, so many of us wrestle with that same thing. We feel like our past failures are disqualifying us for what God has in the future. We convince ourselves that we construct our destiny. We perform well, we do good, then God will bless us and we can step into leadership and we can thrive. But if we do poorly, If we feel inadequate, if we fail in the past, then we've lost it all. We convince ourselves that it's our job to qualify ourselves for God's call. But God shows up to Moses with a totally different message. God's presence on that mountain is something way bigger than, than Moses realizes is going on. Walter Brueggemann says that each objection, Moses is, looks to a past reality. And each response of God moves Moses into a new future. God wants to move Moses. God wants to move him out of the old life of comfort, out of unbelief and fear and inadequacy that had ruled him. And he wants to move him to that supernatural place. He wants to move him to a place of faith and risk and freedom. He wants to deliver him. Moses needed to be delivered before he could deliver Israel. God is showing up on that mountain to say, this is the way that you've always felt. This inadequacy or this sense that you blew it and you failed, but I've come to show you that I have a different future for you. God is here this morning to say to some of you, you see all of this stuff, but I just see your future. You think you've disqualified yourself, but I see a different future for you. See, something is happening on that mountaintop, and it is not just about Moses. It is not just about this moment. It's actually something very prophetic, something very meaningful. God says, what is in your hand? It's a staff, throw it down. It's a snake, pick it up. The cobra is the symbol of Egypt. The very kingdom that Moses is called to overturn, he now has authority over. But it's not just Egypt God is overturning. Do you remember back to the Garden of Eden? You remember Eve and the deception and the snake? The snake is a symbol. The snake is a symbol of sin and separation and broken covenant and disconnect from God. So, so much is happening on this mountaintop that is not just about Moses moving back towards Egypt. There is something prophetic going on here. See, God is not only going to use Moses to overturn Egypt and free Israel. But this is a foreshadowing of one who will come and overturn sin. Separation and return us back to the covenant with God. You see, Israel wasn't just being saved from oppression. God was something up to something way more than that. In chapter three, he says this. The Lord says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people Egypt. I've heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, God is not just bringing them out. He's bringing them in. He is not just bringing them out of oppression out of injustice, but he is bringing them into the promised land. God is never just bringing us out. He is always bringing us in. Guys, this is the gospel right here. It's not just to pull us out of sin and oppression and addiction and unhealthiness and all the stuff that we're like, God, free us from, but it's to bring us into the covenant relationship with Jesus and everything that that brings with it. The freedom and the intimacy and the restoration, the redemption. God is not just bringing you out this morning. He is bringing you in. This is deliverance. Our series is called Deliverance. It is not just about getting free from oppression. It is about moving into the promised land. See, God was on that mountain to move Moses but he was also on that mountain to move us. To move us. See, Moses responds how all of us would respond, like, I don't have any, I don't, I don't, uh." (laughs) We all have our excuses, we all have our reasons. But God was like, oh, let me show you who I am. I wanna shift you. So it's not about focusing on you and what you have and what you don't have. God is not interested in what we bring to the table. God is not interested in us proving to him how great we are, what gifts we have. He is looking for the underqualified. He's looking for the weak. He's looking for the people that say, I don't have anything. Because his delight is to take those people and say, oh, okay, together we can do something beautiful. Because I can show my glory in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. See, Moses' weakness, his failure, his inadequacy, it didn't disqualify him because it's God that qualifies. We have to take ourselves out of the equation and say, okay, it's not what I bring, what I don't bring, what I've tried, what I've failed. None of that matters. If God shows up with call on your life, That is all the qualification that you need. It is God that qualifies. Some of us here today are about to have a holy disruption. God is looking to confront your comfort, your self-made plans, and even your strengths. But that call will cost you. There will be a risk, just like there was a risk for Moses, a stepping away from security, Are you ready for a holy disruption? Are you ready for God to show up and dismantle your plans, your bank account, your career in order to bring you into something new, into a new future? Are you ready for him to change your timeline and all the things that you've got mapped out? See, we all want the Moses miracles. We all think of Moses and we think of the Red Sea. And we think, man, I want to be like Moses, like raising my hands up and like parting the seas and standing against oppression and dealing with injustice. That's the kind of story that I want. But disruption always precedes deliverance. God is looking to disrupt us this morning. Where in your life is God already interrupting you? Where has God been burning a bush and you're just like, mm, okay, no burning brush, no burning brush, like ignoring the interruption of God? Where has he already been showing up in your conversations, in your circumstance, in, in, in your life? Where have you already felt the hand of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, disrupting your life? See, so you might have been feeling a call to deeper risk, deeper faith but you've convinced yourself that you're not qualified, that you're just not outstanding enough. Listen, God is not San Francisco. (laughs) God is qualifying you simply by his power, his presence. This morning, it might be a call to throw down your staff. What do you have in your hand? Will we throw it down and believe that God can take our ordinary, our mundane, and do something supernatural. Some of us are drowning in our inadequacy. We've disqualified ourselves. Maybe you tried leadership. Maybe you tried to do it and you look back and you're like, this is a, this is a failure. People didn't trust me. It ended in disaster. I just, I just felt like all of it was wrong and that's just not for me anymore. Listen, we are a community that needs leaders and the enemy is stealing our leaders with this lie of inadequacy. It is not about your past. It is not about your failure. If God is calling you, then respond. There are opportunities in this church, in our community to lead. We need you. We don't want you leading sheep on a mountain. We want you in San Francisco leading people. And some of us here today, we're in Horeb. We're in that season of like spiritual formation and dying and surrendering and you feel overlooked and forgotten and you feel like every door is closing and you just feel like a failure. God is in that season with you. And the thing about Horeb is it is not a one-time thing. It's not like, well, I did that 10 years ago, and now I'm just off, off to free the people, right? No, no, not really. Like, we kind of weave our lives in and out of Horeb. We spend some time there. We come out. We do some stuff with Jesus. He leads us back there. He goes deeper. So if you're in that season this morning, I want to encourage you to embrace it, And say, I want to get everything out of this, because this is preparing me for my call. This is getting my heart ready. I want to invite you to come and just kneel on the carpets and confess the ways that we've hungered for recognition and success. Long to be seen, long to be called out. And to instead say, Jesus, if this is that season for me, then I want everything that you're doing. I want everything. I just want to invite the worship team to come back out as we close this morning. There's a myriad of ways that you might find yourself in this story this morning. We have carpets at the front. You are welcome to come and kneel and sit and just pray and respond. We have communion that we would love you to come and take part in connect with Jesus. We have prayer teams that are at the sides. We also have them at the sides of the balcony. Like Dave has said before, that in the season that we're in, in this series, God is really doing something in our lives. And we don't want you to isolate and just not feel like you can do that with someone. So feel free to come forward for prayer. And I wanna speak to the women today that if some of you resonated with what we shared earlier, if today is just an incredibly hard day, we would love to pray for you and just stand with you, not to like fluff it over and say, everything's gonna be great, but to just sit with you in that and say, we love you. We love you and we see you. Father God, I thank you that, God, you showed up on that mountain for Moses and for Israel and you showed up for us too. And ultimately, Jesus, you showed up by coming to earth, dying on the cross, taking our sin and all of that stuff that separated us, taking our shame, our pain, all of our failure, all of the reasons why we're disqualified. And you said, oh, I'll take that. And now I qualify you. Now I call you. God, there are people in this room, I felt as I was coming to church today, that some of you, God is wanting to give you a significant call on your life. That he is wanting to call you out of what you think your life is going to be. And he wants to take you on an adventure. Lord, this morning I ask that you would meet people exactly where they're at. And that you would call their name. And God, just like Moses, they would say, here I am. Here I am. Thank you, Lord. Amen.